Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're with us this morning as we try to answer some of your questions. Hopefully we'll get to some of yours today. And if you happen to be a first-time viewer and not know what we do, that's what we do is answer questions. Uh, we want folks to know their Bible better. We want to encourage home Bible study. And so we found one of the best ways to do that is just let you tell us what you'd like to, us to talk about on Know Your Bible. You can ask any question you want about the Bible, a detailed one or a general one or something about your life or uh, what's happening in the world today, what the Bible has to say about it. We'll try to give you the Bible answer, and uh, if we can't find an answer in the Bible for it, we'll tell you that the Bible doesn't talk about that. But uh, the Bible covers pretty much all topics. It's got everything we need for life and godliness, and we think it's worth our time to know it a little bit better. So that's what we're all about. Uh, let me introduce my friend Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Toby's back and ready to go. And if you folks would uh, look at the bottom of the screen there, there's a phone number and a website uh, all the time that you can get in touch with us anytime. We'll start with a trivia question for our family that's at home. Uh, what skill was Dorcas known for? A lady in the New Testament named Dorcas. Other name was Tabitha, and uh, she was known for a certain skill. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you knew it. Uh, Toby, I think you drew the first question today, so I drew number get one. Get us And I really like the way the viewer <laughs> asks it. They say, where does it say in the scriptures for us to worship on Sunday uh, instead of the seventh-day Sabbath? And we get this question from time to time. There's a group of folks who uh, sincerely believe that uh, you know, part of the Ten Commandments and keeping all of the Ten Commandments is remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And they believe that that means the worship day uh, is to be on the seventh day, which would be Saturday. Well, uh, I understand uh, what they're saying. Uh, however, the difference is we've changed covenants. And uh, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant that Jesus established, uh, we don't live under the written code anymore. We don't live under uh, the law. Incidentally, all of the Ten Commandments but one are repeated in the New Testament, oftentimes to a farther degree. Uh, but as far as the Sabbath, uh, worship on the Sabbath in scriptures, we don't have any indication. Uh, what we do have is an indication. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 verse 1 tells us that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And that affected very much uh, when the disciples gathered, when they worshipped, uh, how they worshipped and so forth. Uh, it began on the first day of the week. <clears throat> we know that from other scriptures in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1, which will not be on the screen, but you can look up at home. Uh, Paul said, uh, I want you to set aside collections on the first day of the week. Well, why would they, why would they, he note the first day of the week? Well, because it was when the Christians were meeting together. It's when they were uh, gathering together to worship. And we, <clears throat> Jesus was 
resurrected on that day, and we know that's when the first church began to meet. And we'll give you a, a, one more scripture, as you ask for, uh, that tells us and shows us very specifically. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, there, <clears throat> Luke writes, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Every indication we have uh, in the New Testament is that the early church met on the first day of the week, uh, not on the seventh day of the week. And I think uh, it makes very reasonable sense to me uh, to point out that, that that was the difference, one of the differences, many differences between the Old Testament and the New. So you asked for scriptures, and those are a few that we would reference in talking about the first day of the week. Okay, thank you, Toby. Uh, got a question about another religion. Is the Mormon Church a Bible reading church? Uh, well, we've said many times on this program that we're not experts on in denominations or uh, other church groups or whatever. Uh, I imagine our viewer actually meant, are they a Bible believing church? I, I don't know how much Mormons read or believe or focus on the Bible for sure. Uh, so I went to one of their websites to find out what their position on it was, so I'll just let them answer this question for you. Uh, the answer comes from uh, www.mormon.org, and it says that Mormons believe, revere, and love the Holy Bible. We see it as a powerful, important, and sacred holy record which serves as the bedrock of all Christianity. The Bible is the Word of God and came from the writings of holy men of God as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Now, pay attention, through the same process, we have additional Holy Scripture, including the Book of Mormon, which supports and exalts the Bible. Um, actually, they have some other books that they call Scriptures. If you go on and read on their web websites, uh, they talk about Mormon Scriptures, and their Mormon Scriptures are the Holy Bible, as they just said in that introduction, then the Book of Mormon, which they call Another Testament of Jesus, and then the Doctrine and Covenants, which is mainly <coughs> a recording of a number of revelations that Joseph Smith and others received through the years, and then the Pearl of Great Price is their fourth scriptures, uh, book of scripture, and it's got some more revelations in it that they received at other times. So. Uh, from what I can read on the website, the Mormons take all four of those as holy scriptures. Uh, problem is they don't all agree with the Bible. There's some different things in the other three than in the Bible. Uh, so at that point you've got to decide which one you give most credence to. Uh, and I believe that they let the others supersede the Bible on those things. Of course, the big problem with all this from a... Uh, strictly New Testament Christian point of view is that the Bible says that it has everything in it that we need for life and godliness. The Bible says if anybody preaches another gospel to you, uh, let them be accursed. So the Bible says it's all we need. Uh, and from what I can see by reading the Mormon website, uh, they have three other books of Scripture that they consider also holy and from God. So I hope that answers our viewers' question. All right, the next question a viewer wants to know has to do with suffering. Uh, and the question the disciples ask, the viewer says, or asks, why did the disciples ask if the man was blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Uh, well, we find this story of uh, Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I think we have those scriptures for you on the screen. 
Uh, there scripture, <clears throat> John writes, uh, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was a common belief in <coughs> Jewish culture at the time that those who were born with uh, infirmities, sicknesses, um, deformities, they, the reason for that was a punishment for some sin. And there was arguments among the teachers that whether it was uh, a sin of, of that person or someone in his genealogy and God had decided to uh, uh, punish that particular child uh, for the sin of someone else. So there was a, sort of a debate going on at the time and they uh, come along this man who is blind and they see an opportunity to get an answer from Jesus. And Jesus, uh, well, he goes on to teach them a little lesson. Um, and I, I say it was something that they thought about, debated in Jewish culture at that time, but to some degree we carry that belief over today. People may not come right out and say it, but uh, sometimes you'll see good people going through bad things, and, and the question is why? Why do good people uh, have bad things happen to them? Uh, what What is the reasoning? Is that is it justice? Is, it, is God retributing something? Have they done something wrong? Uh, you go through all those litany of questions, when you, especially when you yourself um, ask. A famous story in the Old Testament is Job. Uh, and uh, him, he and his friends uh, wondered, well, what have I done to deserve all of this? I must have done something. Uh, I wouldn't be suffering unless there was a reason for it. Well, uh, Jesus answers this question, at least in the blind man's case, uh, very specifically by looking at verse 3. So let's look at verse 3 on the screen. Uh, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then, of course, he goes on to, to heal him and to uh, uh, make it where he can see, and that causes a whole <laughs> lot of controversy. But it's a beautiful lesson um, that there was no one to blame. Uh, God was using this, Jesus was going to use this to show the work of God. And I still believe that's true. God can still take the very worst of situations and work the best in them, uh, even today. It may not be a, a miracle exactly, but He still works, uh, even in the worst of situations. So, there's a lesson for us, and uh, Jesus answered the question like that. All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, you may have noticed that we try to answer all of our questions directly from the Bible, give you a scripture if one fits real well and uh, helps answer the question. Uh, that's because we believe the Bible is God's Word and worthy of our study. Uh, but we only get to answer a few questions each week and obviously don't give you too much Bible knowledge uh, compared to how much is in there. So we advocate home Bible study and we hope we can help you study the Bible uh, at home. We're happy to do that. We've got some free Bible study materials uh, that we'll send to you anytime. And you can uh, sit down in your own home with your own Bible and follow through these lessons. You see eight of them on the screen right now. It's the first course that we have. Uh, just a good basic introduction to the Bible. Helps you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, leads you through some other topics of the Bible. And when you're done, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. Uh, we also have follow-on courses that will take you even deeper into the Bible. So if you've always wondered what the Bible's about or what it means or uh, whether it really is from God, this is a good place to start, and we're happy to help you do that. So all you have to do, use the phone number, the website on the screen, tell us you'd like that free course, and we'll get you one in the mail right away. We'll let you study 
as much and as long as you want to with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So give us a call or log on and we get it started. All right, I got a question about spirits here. Are there evil spirits in the heavenly realm? <clears throat> well, I understand exactly what this uh, person is asking, I think, and I know where they were reading in the Bible and caused the question to pop up, I bet. Uh, let me read it for you on the screen. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, there it says, there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that answers our viewer's question. Yes, there are. Uh, but understanding that is, might take us another minute here. Let's work on that. Uh, I think probably our viewer big pictures, and most of us would, I think, if you just said, what are the heavenly places like? Uh, I think we kind of picture heaven. We picture the throne room of God. We think about Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah said he saw the king on the throne and uh, seraphim and cherubim circling around and praising him and saying, holy, holy, holy. That sounds like the heavenly places. Well, you read this verse then and it sounds like in amongst all these angels and heavenly creatures there's a dark spirit zipping around every once in a while and that doesn't fit our picture. Well, it's the use of the term heavenly places that uh, is our problem here. Some places it's used to mean the spirit world. Uh, you can think about things as this earth and then uh, the throne room of God and the place where Satan resides. You can kind of think of it geographically that way. Or you can think about it in the distinction between the physical world and the spiritual world. And sometimes it's used that way. Uh, there's this earthly world and then there's heavenly places. There, it's the spirit world. And in that spirit world, there are dark forces. Now there are also forces of light and where God is and all of that. Uh, bear in mind that the angels who rebelled against God were cast out of heaven, but they remained in the spirit world. They're not physical beings walking the earth. They're in the spirit world somehow. And we don't know much about that spirit world, but there's evil forces in it. So that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. That's who we're really battling against is those evil forces in the spiritual world. Um, we don't know much about it in the book of Job. It implies that there's communication within that spirit world. I have a conversation between God and Satan. So uh, how that all works, we don't know. We may understand someday when we get into the spirit world, uh, but right now we don't know. So that's my understanding of that verse is, uh, yes, there are dark forces within the spiritual world, uh, not in the exact presence of God because they couldn't stand to be in the presence of God. Uh, but they're in the spirit world somewhere. So uh, not a actual uh, accurate answer because I'm not in the spiritual world. <laughs> uh, we physical beings don't understand it yet, but hope that helps. Okay. Uh, next viewer asked the question, a calendar question, how does the year in the Bible compare to today's year? Well, that's a, a very interesting question. Was, you know, measurements of time and how we keep track of days and months and seasons uh, has changed a little bit through different cultures and ages. <coughs> um, the basic answer is the Jewish 
calendar was not exactly the same as the Roman calendar, but it was pretty close. Um, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. There's very lengthy arguments. Uh, people have really gotten into the weeds in terms of, of uh, trying to break down that answer. Um, they go through uh, Genesis chapter 7 and the account of Noah and, and the flood and, and go through what they call uh, the year and so forth and how that breaks out and they look at places like Revelation and prophecies where it talks about times and time and half a time and so forth. And when they go through all of those scriptures, they, they break down each individual verse and compare to this to that. But basically, it comes out to about 360 days. And a month in the Bible uh, seems to be a period of 30 days. Well, that's pretty close to what the Roman calendar of 365 uh, days on most years is. Um, and so that it's, it's pretty close. We're going we're gonna to call it close enough anyway. <laughs> um, but the uh, biblical month has... 30 days, the biblical year seems to be 360 days, and you can, if you have the desire to go into deeper study, you can uh, look at some of those things in, in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, and Romans chapter, or, sorry, Revelation chapter 12. Uh, some people have even gone into the book of Numbers to, to delve out all that study, but to answer your question concisely, is pretty close. Close enough. Huh? Close enough. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, you've got a verse here she wants interpreted. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. What does only in the Lord mean? All right, well, let's set the background a little bit before we read our verse. And the background is Paul's answering questions for the church in Corinth. Corinth was a very pagan society, uh, all kinds of religions and, well, false religions and, and atheists and pagans. It was a wild town is what it was. And Paul went there and started the church. Now, later, after he had left, they wrote him some letters and asked him some questions. And one of them was about marriage. Because what was happening in their marriages was when a pagan couple, uh, maybe the wife, got, mar uh, got converted to Christ and the pagan didn't want to be married to her any longer because she wasn't going to go to the pagan temple. She wasn't going to go to the Friday night orgies with him and those kind of things. So he wanted a divorce. Uh, in other cases, the Christian, the one that became a Christian, thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to divorce my pagan spouse. So those all kinds of options were going on there. So they wrote Paul, and Paul gave them advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And part of his advice was what happens if you've been married and now your husband's died, what do you do about that? So here's his advice. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 7.39 A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Okay, there's the phrase that he adds at the end. And it's pretty simple. Uh, in the Lord uh, means a Christian. Uh, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ. We are in the Lord, and that's the way the Bible talks a lot about Christians, is someone in the Lord, uh, somebody in Christ. Um, that's where all spiritual blessings are, and all, we could talk about being in Christ a lot, but that's what the term means, is a Christian. So Paul's very clear here. Uh, if you've been married, if you're married and your pagan husband wants to stay with you, you stay with him. But if your husband dies, then you're free to marry again. But marry a Christian. 
So, so that's Paul's recommendation there is uh, if you're a widow and you want to get married again, be sure you marry a Christian. And, of course, in that culture, that was excellent advice. And today, it's still excellent advice. Uh, I think that's what every Christian widow or widower ought to consider as they, uh, after they're through their grieving and uh, perhaps ready to get married again, uh, search for a Christian. Look for somebody in the Lord. There's no reason uh, to make an alliance with somebody in the world. Uh, marry a Christian. So that's what Paul said, and that's what Paul meant. We take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program is kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we appreciate that. A number of uh, different churches all over our viewing audience uh, help us stay on the air, and we like to mention a few each week and uh, tell you who they are and give them a public thank you. Uh, church in Agra, Kansas, Augusta, Kansas, and Derby, Kansas are all Churches of Christ that uh, believe know your Bible's doing your good work and they help us a little bit financially every month and help us stay on the air. So we appreciate that and appreciate them. If you live in one of those communities, uh, of course, if you're searching for a church home, uh, I know you'd be warmly welcomed at any of those churches of Christ. Uh, if you're not, if it, maybe you know somebody that attends a church of Christ in one of those towns and uh, just Give them a thank you. Tell them, I watched Know Your Bible and found out the other day that you provide that. So thanks for keeping it on the air. Um, drop in, visit them sometime, give them a thank you, or check out what goes on at the Church of Christ. I got a very nice note the other day from a couple in Agri, Kansas, uh, about some of the things going on there and some of their neighbors and uh, sharing Know Your Bible with them, and we appreciate that. So wherever you live, whatever market area you're in, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. All right, Toby, got a Jesus question here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they ask a specific question about something that happened in the Gospels, mm -hmm. and uh, so here it is. When the soldier pierced Jesus' side, it says blood and water flowed out. Uh, what is the significance of the blood and water? Well, this account we find in John chapter 9, <coughs> verses, I'm sorry, 19, verses 32 and 30 through 34. Let's look at those, read those together on the screen. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Uh, well, I've heard uh, several times over over the years that there's a medical explanation for that. It's called hypovolemic shock, and a person is uh, beaten and flogged into a point of such distress uh, in their body, uh, the and they lose so much blood uh, that the body literally uh, goes into shock from not having enough blood and just simply uh, all that's left is the water in the body uh, or and just a very little bit of blood. Uh, we can read the account of the crucifixion. We know that Jesus collapsed. They had to have Simon carry his cross. He, he was suffering from extreme thirst. He said, I thirst. Um, and uh, part of the hypovolemic shock is there just develops a lot of uh, water and fluid around the heart. And so as was the custom of uh, the Roman soldiers when they believed a, a criminal was already dead, just to verify that, they'd take the spear and puncture right up under the rib cage and just right up there where the heart uh, was and because that was where he was 
uh, out came the blood and the water. So I know that's a little bit of a gory detail, uh, but it tells us uh, medically uh, where, what Jesus was going through, the physical aspect of his suffering. Uh, some have uh, uh, say, well, why is this in there? Could be other reasons. John loved imagery. He loves the pictures. And uh, blood and life are both deep symbols of life. Uh, blood and water are both deep symbols of life in the scriptures. You go through the Old and the New Testament. Uh, John loved to report all the details. When you tell the story of the fish and the loaves, John was the one who says these were barley loaves. So he often gives us extra detail when possible. Uh, he's, he's making a testament there that Jesus was truly dead. Uh, there was a bit of heresy going on in the early church that Jesus wasn't really human, therefore he couldn't have really died. Well, this, this gives us a picture that, yeah, he was human and, uh, and he really did die. Um, there's other symbolism things about life and, and baptism and death and the water and the blood and all of that. I'm not sure that it's there for all of those reasons. Perhaps it is. Uh, we can't know all of John's intent. Uh, but I think it was majorly to say, yep, he really was human, he really did die, and he really did suffer, and there was a purpose in that suffering. Uh, it wasn't just meaningless death, it was death to give us life and hope. Uh, the idea of blood and water is referred to later on in Scripture, in 1 John chapter 1, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read this together. This is the one who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by the water and the blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. It reminds us of His humanity, also reminds us of His deity, and uh, the purpose of His uh, coming to earth to suffer for our sins. All right, very good. Speaking of His humanity and His divinity, the viewer wants to know, was Jesus married? Well, that would certainly indicate humanity yep. <laughs> if He was married. But let me put it fairly simply, there is no mention in the Bible of Jesus being married. Uh, there's no hint of Jesus being married. There's no reference to anything close to it uh, anywhere. Uh, so the answer is no, Jesus was not married. I'm sure that the gospel writers would not have ignored <laughs> such a, a kind of major fact uh, if they were telling the life story of Jesus. But that's not the purpose. He didn't come to earth uh, to start a physical family. He came to earth to tell about the kingdom of God and to represent God to us. And he did that just fine without being married. Now, there are some apocryphal New Testament books that every once in a while somebody stirs up a little stir about them like the Da Vinci Code and some of those happenings. Uh, they'll take a little piece out of one of those phony novels is what they are and uh, try to say something about Jesus was married or Jesus had sexual relations or something. Uh, but the best defense for that or the best way to understand that is you just read an ap apocryphal gospel or two and you'll see how silly they are. Uh, they're just ridiculous and not worth uh, paying any attention to. So no, Jesus was not married. Uh, nothing in the Bible about it, so he wasn't. All right, so let's make sure we get a trivia question answered today. And it is, what skill was Dorcas known for? Dorcas, or Tabitha, was a seamstress and uh, famous for that. She made clothes for the poor, uh, was very much mourned when she died, but the good news is she didn't stay dead very long. Uh, got raised back to life, but uh, that's a story you can find in the, the Gospels about Dorcas. We're glad you've been with us today and uh, hope you got your question answered. If not, we got more coming up next week and we'll try to get to it. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, 
today would be a good day to do that. Uh, I'm sure Toby has this experience, too. We meet people out in public, and they say, boy, I'd like to sign up for that. I just had not got to it yet. We'll get to it today. We're glad you've been with us. Come back and see us next week. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.